Welcome to Season 10 of American Political History, the North American Contest. Peacetime. The economic separation between the French and English colonies would continue to compound in the early 18th century. The English colonies were growing exponentially, doubling from a population of 200,000 in 1690 to 400,000 in 1715. As we have already discussed, this growth was fueled by the immigration of Germans, Quakers, Huguenots, Scot-Irish, and Scottish. By contrast, Louisiana and Canada would remain corporatized trade colonies with power and opportunity centralized in the hands of a few individuals who were given this authority through patronage of the French crown. The French colonies were culturally static places, fixed by monarchical rule and authoritarian culture from Paris. The English colonies, by contrast, were a place of new radical social development, battles over freedom of conscience, the constant struggle to establish representative assemblies, power, and authority, the pushback against the navigation acts imposed by the crown. American merchants would be demanding free markets, that is, the right to buy and sell to whomever you wish to. In short, the English colonies were a land of opportunity for immigrants, away from the thumb of the crown's authoritarian rule in London. On the other hand, New France had the same political structures in the mid-18th century as it had had in the early 17th century. It was the same culture that most immigrants were fleeing from in the old world. New France would take 60 years to double its population from 13,000 to 25,000, meaning by 1750, the population of New France would be one-sixteenth that of colonial America. France still was attempting to grow its colonies during that time period. The French crown granted Antony Crozat an exclusive monopoly over the native trade in Louisiana. Crozat used the profits of the Indian trade to build Fort Toulouse, which was built on the Alabama River in modern Montgomery in 1713. Fort Rosalie on the Mississippi in modern Natchez. New Orleans was established, quickly becoming the most profitable of the French settlements, and within a few years it was named the capital of Louisiana. And if you think the French growth was bad, then look no further to Spanish Florida, which with a 150-year head start had grown to nothing more than a Spanish fort at St. Augustine, which served to protect Spanish shipping lanes in the Gulf of Mexico. Spanish Florida would never have a Spanish population of more than 2,000 for two centuries. That didn't stop the Spanish from attempting to circumvent the French and create trade networks in modern-day Nebraska, but their merchants would be attacked by the Pawnee and French merchants. The Spanish had little resources to respond to all of the French's aggression, and their lack of response solidified France's claim to the Louisiana Territory which was the entirety of the Mississippi River Valley Basin, west to the Rockies. By 1721, France and Spain were beginning to work together, both in the European conflicts and with how they were going to deal with the encroaching English colonial power in North America. In the beginning of the 18th century, North America would become a contested European battlefield, and over the next half of that century, three European powers would battle for control of the vast territory. Sometimes this would be hot wars, 
and other times it would be Cold Wars. South Carolina sent a delegation under Colonel John Barnwell to London to persuade Whitehall to adopt and pay for a strategy of frontier forts to protect against French territorial aggression in the South. New England adopted their own strategy of forts after the Abenaki once again attacked, destroying the settlement of Georgetown, located on the Kennebec River. Massachusetts would build Fort Drummer near modern Battleboro, Vermont, strategically situated to be an excellent launching pad for counterattacks into the Abenaki's territory. In 1728, Governor Burnett of New York took the initiative to build a fortified trading post at Oswego on the shores of Lake Ontario. Canada would respond in 1731 by building Fort St. Frederick at Crown Point near the southern end of Lake Champlain. In 1729, Louisiana would be distracted by its own troubles with their neighboring native allies. The Natchez nation attacked and destroyed Fort Rosalie, killing 250 and taking as many women and children as captives. Governor Paris would immediately respond with an expedition to rescue the women and children. The next year, he would organize a second expedition of over a thousand militia and native warriors, which attacked and destroyed the Natchez nation. The remnants of that nation were adopted by the neighboring Chickasaw. Although the expedition was victorious on the battlefield, the massive costs related to it had put the colony of Louisiana into too much debt, and the French crown would be forced to bail out the colony, officially marking the transition of Louisiana from private charter colony to a royally administered French colony. In 1732, South Carolina lobbied Whitehall once again to create a buffer colony to its west, This would lead to the creation of the colony of Georgia. The idea of a buffer colony or buffer state is a long-established geopolitical strategy. Georgia was positioned between South Carolina and Louisiana and Spanish Florida. Therefore, those adversaries would have to attack Georgia before they could attack South Carolina, allowing the economically stronger colony of South Carolina to rally its strength in response without being directly damaged by initial attacks. Georgia's charter claimed the territory along the Savannah River to the south, to the Altamaha River to the west, to the Pacific to the east. Management of the budding colony was given to James Oglethorpe, a 63-year-old army officer who had been a member of parliament for a decade. Oglethorpe was the figurehead for a group of powerful Englishmen who thought they could create a new type of colony, a debtor's colony. Having debtors settle in the colony would be a more humane and sensible approach for those that were debt-ridden in England. And because of their initial plans for a rehabilitation colony, they banned the importation of liquor and slaves. As with so many of these new colonial ideas, these ones did not last either, and Georgia was immediately selling land grants to entice immigrants. Before founding the town of Savannah, Oglethorpe sought an alliance between Georgia and the Creek Nation. After securing this, he founded the settlement, which was settled with Scottish immigrants, who within a few years also founded Augusta. The Scottish immigrants were prolific in the trailblazing of settlements along the frontiers of Georgia. In 1736, Oglethorpe would negotiate with the governor Francisco Sanchez for a new border between Georgia and Spanish Florida. When the terms of the agreement were sent back to Madrid, Governor Sanchez was recalled to Spain, where he would be tried and executed for conceding possessions of the King of Spain. 
Upon hearing the news of impending war between Spain and England, Oglethorpe recruited a militia army of both Georgians and South Carolinians. Having heard the news before the Spanish, Oglethorpe was able to capture the small forts and their garrisons along the St. John's River, cutting off communication between Spanish Florida and the Appalachian Nation. After this strategic success, Oglethorpe would spend the winter planning for an attack on St. Augustine. In 1740, a joint expedition of Georgia and Carolina would set out to attack the fort. Oglethorpe commanded a force of 500 Georgia militia and 400 Scottish Highlanders. Colonel Alexander Van Dusen from South Carolina would command 400 Carolina militia and 500 native warriors. These militia forces would attack in coordination with a naval assault of the fort. But the Spanish had not sat idly by. During the preceding years, Fort Augustine had been retrofitted and enlarged. It now held 50 cannons, which overlooked high, thick stone walls, and was garrisoned by 1,100 soldiers, with the local support of native nations who could raise an additional force of 1,100 warriors. Once there, Oglethorpe had no choice but to dig in and attempt a siege and naval blockade of the fort. When the English vessels failed to contain the blockade and the Spanish garrison was resupplied, the tables were turned. The Spanish would become the attackers. So Oglethorpe ordered his forces to retreat back to Georgia. For Whitehall, the focus of the war was on the West Indies, not the underdeveloped territories in Spanish Florida. London requested a 3,500-man American militia to serve as a regiment alongside the British regular army in the Caribbean. This regiment would have their own colonial captains and lieutenants. The colonies were only required to provide foodstuffs for their troops and pay for their transportation to Jamaica. Once in Jamaica, they would join a 9,000-strong force under Brigadier General Thomas Wentworth. This expedition would land outside Cartagena, Colombia on March 3, 1741. Brigadier General Wentworth would lead the attack with such meticulous precision that he sacrificed tempo, taking three weeks to occupy Cartagena. The problem for General Wentworth was that South America was not a European battlefield. Those three weeks allowed the rains to come, and with the rains, yellow fever to break out amongst the ranks of the army. The expedition would next sail over to Cuba, but it was unable to participate in any combat due to the force's sickness. Admiral Vernon would pull rank over General Wentworth and order the decimated colonial American troops home. Of the original 3,500, only 600 remained alive, and no more than a handful had died in combat. One of the surviving few was a man named Lawrence Washington, who returned to his plantation on the Potomac River, which he renamed, to Mount Vernon, in honor of the admiral that had taken mercy and sent him home. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.